Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. serves him as a new creation. And as a new creation, he can come with a pure conscience before God. And guys, I want you to know that you and I, with faith and trust in Christ, we can come to him with that same thing. Have you failed this week? Bring it to the cross. Lay it before Jesus and come with the full confidence that not only is sin forgiven, but he will give you, again, a cleansing within your life that we can come before the Father with a pure conscience as we confess our sin before him, as we lay these things before him. You are pure through Christ. In today's message from Pastor David, we are taught through Paul's life about being new creations. Before Christ, Paul had some major sins he needed cleansed from. However, once Paul received Christ, he was a new creation. Like Paul, once we receive Christ, we too become new creations. Whatever past or current sin we might be struggling with, Jesus came so we might be cleansed from it. Jesus not only forgives our sins, but cleanses us and makes us pure. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, A Genuine Faith. We are in the book of 2 Timothy. I invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you, to turn to 2 Timothy. We began this book last week. We got a very small, uh, short start into it in the midst of the introduction. And so I want to guarantee you today, we're not going to get a whole lot further, okay? Uh, we are still in the earlier verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, why don't you look with me this morning? I just want to read. Uh, I'm going to back up to the first couple of verses. We're going to read through that, and then we'll begin in the message. Paul writes to Timothy. Now, again, this is the second letter to Timothy. He's writing. He knows the end of his life is very near, and so he begins this letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I I love that even right there, according to the promise of life. Here's a man that knows that his life is going to be ended very quickly, that the executioner, uh, again, will soon come to take his life. This earthly, this mortal life is going to end. But yet he writes for the promise of life. And he knows it's not this terra firma that he's holding on to. He's reaching into eternity. He knows that he has eternal life waiting for him, regardless of what takes place, again, in this realm. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. 
to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, this is a normal, this is sort of a standard greeting for Paul, but I don't believe that Paul just writes this the way that you and I might end up a letter and say, sincerely, John or David or Susie or whatever. I believe that as he writes this, it really he's writing it as a prayer to Timothy grace, mercy, and peace. The reality and the truth of all three of those are necessary within life. We looked at that last week some, and according to the fact that that Timothy had been a major part of Paul's life for so long, that he had walked with Paul through his missionary journeys, and Paul saw him grow from a young man in the Lord to one who was mature enough to take on the responsibilities of ministry there in Ephesus. But now today, we're going to look at a little bit of the impact of Timothy actually on Paul's life. Let's go on and read verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, and that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Paul writes as one who has an absolute faithful submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the will of God in his life. It had not always been that way in Paul's life. Here he says, I'm writing with a pure conscience, but Paul didn't always have a pure conscience. His life BC, you know, before Christ, again, was one that uh, filled with all kinds of acts of terrible persecution against men and women, young people, anybody that he could that claimed the name of Jesus Christ. Paul was so adamantly filled with the hatred and the desire to bring persecution on those that would claim Jesus as their Savior. As a good Jew, as a good rabbi, as a good Pharisee, he pursued them every opportunity that he could after any and all that would follow the very one that now he served himself, the very one that now he has absolute hope and confidence in. Paul was cognizant of all the issues of his former life. He knew what a, what, a, what a wretch he had been. And yet he was also fully aware, even as we shared today, as we took communion, that that cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb. He was the one that he writes even in 1 Timothy. He recognizes that he is a chief of sinners, but he also knew that he had been made clean by the power of the blood. Paul identifies with believers the world over, knowing that he too was destined for an eternity in hell. There was absolutely no hope for him at all in all of his Phariseeism, in all of his rituals, in all of his desire to try and do the law. He knew that there was absolutely no hope for him because he had rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And yet now he has come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and now his life is fully and completely changed. He had understood that once he came to Christ, his life was completely different than it was before. He writes to the Corinthians, 
He speaks to them in their relationship to Christ and also for himself. The fact that they were now washed, that they were now sanctified, they were now justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Not because they were doing good deeds and they had earned their way, but because they had come to absolute faith and submission to Christ. He writes to the Corinthians again in the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All that old stuff, all that past way of life, all those failures, all that sinfulness, everything that was BC before Christ has passed away and behold, all things have been made new. He wasn't saying that He was perfect in any way. Paul knew that he had issues within his life. But as he serves the Lord at this point in time in his life, he serves him as a new creation. And as a new creation, he can come with a pure conscience before God. And guys, I want you to know that you and I, with faith and trust in Christ, we can come to him with that same thing. Have you failed this week? Bring it to the cross. Lay it before Jesus and come with the full confidence that not only is sin forgiven, but he will give you, again, a cleansing within your life that we can come before the Father with a pure conscience as we confess our sin before him, as we lay these things before him. Paul connects himself also with those who were the faithful of Israel. And yet he knew that as a nation, they had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And yet he could boldly say, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Now he was, a, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. That's what he was called for. And yet in the midst of that, though he is ministering to the Gentiles, he never neglected, he never forgot the reality of his Jewish heritage. Although in that day, uh, just as it is today, actually few of the Jews had really come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Paul understood that many in the past, though, as well as in the current time, there were also many of that remnant that were looking forward to Messiah, desired Messiah. And many, even during the day of Paul, had come to faith, though the vast majority had rejected him those that read the prophet's message, those that anticipated Messiah's arrival, those that desired to live their lives for the glory of God. He understood much more than just the bloodline of Abraham. These were now the ones that he connected with through a spiritual heritage. You see, it's not the bloodline of Abraham, but it's the blood covering of Christ that makes the difference. And even with Paul's understanding of his own Jewish bloodline, Paul, as he served as a missionary to the Gentiles, it was because of God's call in his life. And for years, he had been able to travel all throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the hope of the gospel, going from city to city, giving birth to new fellowships, encouraging churches that were already there. But now, as he writes to Timothy here in his second epistle, now he finds himself bound with chains and living in the dungeon portion of the state prison there in the city of Rome. 
It's interesting when you look at the background of that particular prison that Paul found himself in. It actually only consisted of two rooms, one located on top of the other. The top one was called the carcer, and that in essence was the room that, uh, again, you, you stood until your trial, or you, you stayed in until your trial came to be. But below that was the Tullianum. The Tullianum was a, a different kind of room. Actually, it had been a water cistern for many years, and then Rome turned that into not a long-term prison. That's the place you stayed in until it was time for your execution. Sentence had already been passed on those that stayed in the Tullianum. And again, they simply awaited for the executioner's call of their name for their life to be ended. From the writings of the late first, early second century, Roman historians have shared with us again just how, how devastating, how deplorable this situation was that Paul finds himself. A fellow by the name of Gaius Crispus, he writes, and we kind of get an understanding of the conditions of the Tullianum. He says, there is a place called the Tullianum, about 12 feet below the surface of the ground. It's enclosed on all sides by walls, and above it is a chamber with a vaulted roof of stone. Neglect, darkness, and stench make it hideous and fearsome to behold. Another writer of the time, another Roman, Calpurnus Flacius, he writes these words, the whip lashes crack. Food is delivered in the foul hands of the executioner to those who then refuse to eat it. The hard-hearted doorkeeper sits by, a man whose eyes would remain dry even when his mother weeps. Filth roughens their bodies as chains grip their hands tightly. I share all this with you in order that you and I might get a better understanding of the situation that Paul finds himself in here. That you and I might understand the, the greatness of the suffering that, that was there. Any other man, I believe, would be in absolute utter despair, drowning in hopelessness. And yet, for Paul, there was a difference. Oh, we, we see the whole tenure of, the, of, his, of his mindset as we read this short book. We know that emotionally, spiritually, there's a lot of things going on. But you need to understand, too, that Paul had learned years ago, even in the deepest of dungeons, even in the darkest of nights, he understood that his God was with him. That's why he could write to the Philippians in chapter 4, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It doesn't mean you like it. That doesn't mean you're pleased with the situation, but it's the understanding that I know that God is still in charge. It's the understanding that I know that in the midst of all the things that are going on in my life right now, as, as horrible as it might be, as difficult as it might be, I still stand firm on the foundation that my God is in charge of all of his creation, and he is in charge of my life, and he is not ignorant of where I am or what I'm going through. Beloved, that's the only way that you and I could survive a situation like this, or a situation that perhaps you're going through in your life or within your family. That's why in the darkness and the desolation of that horrid place, Paul's able to pray and his prayers move out from his own needs 
to the situation and the needs of men like Timothy. And he quickly encourages Timothy that his prayers are always with him. How much he desired to have the company of that young friend. He writes here in 2 Timothy verse three, he says, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Guys, I am always amazed. I'm always humbled whenever I speak to someone who's going through a deplorable situation, whether that's relationships, whether that's finances, whether that's health, whatever the situation, and you know that they're battling great demons within their own life, the attack of the enemy upon them, and their concern isn't so much about them, but they'll come and they'll say, tell me, how is so-and-so doing? How's the situation with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Hey, you know what? As I've been laid up at home, I've been praying for this one or that one. Guys, that's a heart that's bigger than their own selves. That's a heart that opens up and spreads out and reaches. That's the heart of God that works within people's lives that move beyond their own battles and pray and are concerned for others that they know of. You can clearly see the heart of God in those kinds of individuals. They step out of their own sufferings and they pray for the needs of others and they seek to encourage others who might be in a situation that's many times easier than their own, but yet they have a heart for what they're going through. And it's obvious that they're comforted in the midst of their own troubles with the comfort that only God can bring. In the midst of their suffering, they care for others because in the midst of their suffering, they had comfort in the knowledge that God is still working even through this battle that's in their lives. They take to heart the words that Paul writes again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter one. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It says, God, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of the persecution, uh, the battles, the sicknesses, the diseases, the relationships, the financial downfalls that I have, it's God that brings me comfort, not my circumstances. And he brings me comfort in this in order that I then might be able to speak into the lives of others who are going through similar situations. Sometimes we wonder why we're going through the trials that we're going through, don't we? Amen? Or is it just me? I don't know. Sometimes we, we wonder, why, why is this going on? I don't understand. Paul gives us the reasoning right here. In order that the God who comforts us in the midst of our trials might allow us to bring comfort to others who are going through similar trials similar situations, so we can get out of ourselves and minister to others. In the midst of the darkness of that prison cell, in the midst of that dungeon, Paul is bombarding heaven on behalf of Timothy and probably a host of others. He knows full well the battle that's coming against the church, the persecution, which we spoke about last week. He knows that the persecution and the attack of the enemy is coming against the church, coming against her message, and coming against her messengers. And so Paul, there in his own situation, lifts his eyes toward heaven and cries out to God to touch the hearts and lives 
of those that he knows are going through these battles. He desired to see Timothy one more time before that executioner's sword would take his own life. And so he knew that in seeing Timothy that he himself would be, he'd be encouraged. He'd be encouraged to see this young man's faith, to see this young man's perseverance, his work in the ministry. He understood that. He knew that his time was short. And so near the end of this book of 2 Timothy, he writes in chapter four, oh, be diligent to come to me quickly. He wants to see him, but he knows he didn't have much time. Paul expected to see Timothy and in Timothy's life to be able to see a growing consistency, to be able to see in Timothy's life a growing boldness, to be able to see a depth of faith in this young man's life because Paul knew he wasn't going to be here for long. And men like Timothy would carry on the work of the gospel within the church and within the world that was yet to be reached for Christ. He says in verse four, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, that I am persuaded also is in you. Timothy's faith, you you understand, Timothy's faith had been founded, had been birthed at the feet of his mother and of his grandmother. These two women pouring into that young man's life, Lois, his grandmother, Eunice, his mother, again, they had impacted him as a young man by their own personal lives, as well as their message of the hope that Jesus is the true Messiah of Israel. Now, Timothy's father isn't listed here, and Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6 that that he was a Greek, and so we we don't have much else about him. So again, we, we believe that he probably was not a believer, and he was probably out of the scene, perhaps even early on in Timothy's life. We just don't know very much about him. So we do know that Timothy's spiritual upbringing was that what came from his mother and his grandmother, Moms, grandmoms, take hope. You do have influence in those children's lives. But let it be more than just words. Let it be the reality of your life before them. It made such a difference in Timothy's life. We read also in Acts, as Luke writes, that again, by the time that Paul met Timothy, he was already a a believer. He was already a disciple. In Acts chapter 16, we read that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And then he came to travel with Paul through some of Paul's missionary journeys. Timothy's life was laid out wide open for inspection. And I don't believe that you traveled much with the apostle Paul without him knowing where your life was in Jesus. I don't think you could shine on to him when you're 24-7 walking along the road, going through all that they went through. I think the reality of your faith is made wide open at that point. And that's why Paul could say, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The impact of the word of God in a young child's heart being lived out by believing parents or grandparents or guardians. Guys, we cannot emphasize the importance of that too much. When Timothy came to Christ, we find out here in chapter 3, verse 15, that he was a young child. The influence of this mother, this grandmother, had made such a difference. And as he grew, his faith grew with him. He grew in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. I want to take a moment here to bring your attention to the importance 
of bringing the gospel to children. We come in as adults, many of us, our children are already grown. We feel that, man, we, we've done our job, but maybe there's grandchildren that still yet need to be touched. But even beyond that, the children within this fellowship that need to be encouraged by you, and you might say, well, I'm not their parent, I'm not their guardian, I'm not their grandparent, then what a greater impact you might have on them by showing your care and concern. The statistics scream out the truth of the importance of bringing the gospel message to children. If we're ever going to reach this next generation for Christ, we've got to reach them at a young age. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David has been taking us through the book of 2 Timothy, sharing the Apostle Paul's insights and wise words for us to learn from. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching, you can do so by simply visiting theopenword.com. Click on the Teachings tab to access these messages and be sure to subscribe to our podcast to never miss an update. At our website, you can also find out more about Pastor David and the ministry of The Open Word. We love that we get to share Pastor David's teachings with you here on The Open Word. And we'd like to ask you to be a part of what we're doing here. To tell you more, here's Pastor David. You know, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our listening audience. That's all we have time for today, but join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Timothy, right here on The Open Word.